You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. Hey everybody, welcome back to the team room. You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast. I'm Peaches. I've got Trent, and we've got a returning guest, retired Chief Master Sergeant Chad McCoy. Thanks for joining us. Uh, but before we get into the conversation, I did want to hit one of our partners, uh, Eberly Stock. You guys check them out. They've got great gear for hunting, military rucks, um, clothing. Uh, I guess clothing and apparel would be the exact same thing, but that's okay. They've got great hats. Um, I mean, but really their bread and butter are their rucksacks and their, whether it's military or hunting, um, what's pretty cool is some of those, you know, one day or three day packs that they have actually have concealed holsters in them as well. So you can, you know, protect yourself, go out hiking, go out hunting and, uh, and you'll be ready. And then funny enough, we have a promo code with them. So if you want to save some money on any of that stuff, it is OR10. OR10, and you get yourself a discount, and it supports them, supports us, and uh, we appreciate you guys checking them out. And then, if you have time, make sure that you're following us on any kind of social media platform. Go on Apple Podcasts and uh, follow, and please leave a review. That'd be awesome. You can tell us how bad we're doing or how great we're doing. So, we'll go from there. Chad, second time. Last time we spoke was uh, we were still in Afghanistan. We were still, you know, not necessarily getting out of it. We were definitely on our way transitioning out of Afghanistan, but, um, you know, we were, we were still there and the whole, um, you know, HKIA evacuation hadn't occurred or anything like that. That was, that was still an unknown at that point. So um, since we're talking about that and I decided to bring it up, uh, I won't ask you your feelings on that, but um, what's it, I know it's weird for me thinking that we're actually out of Afghanistan. How about for you? Because I know you've got a lot of deployments over there as well. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't do the, the podcast after that because it would have been, <laughs> been a lot of uh, rant and raving. There's a lot of emotions attached to that. Um, it's it's hard, to, hard to watch that go down the way it did. Um, and I, I was traveling back from, um, from Ohio and I was in an airport in Atlanta and people are laughing, smoking, joking, watching TV. And I, I asked one of the, I was at a bar having a beer and asked them to switch it to, you know, one of the news channels. And um, I think the, the worst part of that whole experience was that it really only affected a small, you know, sliver of the population. They were, they were emotionally attached to it. And so um, that, was, that was even hard to, to watch just from a, a bystander. And, and it's really weird being a retired guy, you know, kind of being helpless, not, not a part of it after coming from a unit that was always, you know, in the mix. And so, um, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was cathartic, you know, to kind of watch that process happen. Um, and now that it's over, you know, kind of move on, but I know those families that lost, uh, you know, Marines and, and the soldier, uh, that, that died in the explosion, um, probably aren't moving on too well right now. So, uh, they're not forgotten, in, you know, in my household, I'm sure not in yours as well. So, um, okay. has some, I'm sorry. No, I mean, when I watched the whole thing go down, it reminded me of what it was like coming home from a deployment after, you know, losing some friends. And I imagine what it's going to be like post-career or whatever, you know, like you come home and everything's normal. 
people are just like, that's happening over there to right. these people. That's not my problem as an American. You know, you just spent a, a fair amount of your life over there, uh, you know, doing what you do and, and doing the best you can. And you come home and you're exhausted and you're kind of like, you, you know, like it's mixed feelings. You're proud, but also uh, some bad stuff maybe went down. And then you go to the grocery store and, you know, like that's always where my brain goes. You go to the grocery store and see people being like, you know, picking up the, the hot pockets and you're like, man, you don't even, you don't even understand what, what it takes to, to make this all possible. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know if there's any good way to, to reintegrate post-deployment, but that one for sure is different because, you know, if you leave unfinished business, I mean, it was always unfinished business. So there was never any real coherent strategy of how we're going to win. Um, but you know, you're going to get a shot at it. And, um, and there's always, you know, for guys that are in our line of work, you know, it's exciting to get to go to, I mean, I, I say this with all due respect, it's always exciting to go to war, you know, and like get to do your job and those things. Um, but closing the door on that uh, with everything kind of being in, in flux, uh, that's a tough pill to swallow, man. I, I feel for those guys that are out there. Uh, my former unit had a lot of dudes on the ground. Um, I heard a lot of good things coming from the stuff they were doing at the airfield. Um, and, you know, I was, I'll be honest with you as a, you know, prior chief, the 24th, I was, I was praying hard for those guys, man. Um, I was really worried that, uh, you know, if, if the enemy cratered the airfield, those guys were stuck, you know, and, um, you know, fortunately everyone got out and, um, you know, with, I guess, you know, reduced, uh, impact of, you know, we lost, we lost some folks in the front end, um, but we got the majority of the guys out, um. I just, I, you know, I went to a, I went to a senior leader engagement for the Air Force, uh, the, the AFA conference, and it kind of hurt to listen to senior leaders talk about the success of the withdrawal of Afghanistan, because, um, you know, I, I guess I don't really have to hold my tongue, but um, it's a, it was a, <laughs> no, you don't have was, to hold your tongue. <laughs> it was a disaster, man. I mean, think about it. Um, the a few guys, you know, made it work, uh, like it always does. But I'm, I'm kind of sick of soft having to you know, fix all these problems, you know, small teams of guys coming in and being creative and, and making it work. Why don't we institutionalize these things? Why don't we get this process to work every time? Why don't we listen to lessons learned and, and document and, and put them into action and training? I know soft does, you know, I, I think we do a pretty good job learning lessons. Um, you know, we still learn, you know, we're still talking about lessons learned from like Somalia, you know, and it's integrated into training and think how long that, that was. And so, conventional units needed to kind of change their uh, approach to training um you know have some uh have some ability to um, be reflective and be self-aware to say hey look we're not good at this we're gonna be better at this and like i told you guys last time before you know afghanistan even happened is that we're coming into kind of a the lull right now you know maybe before the next storm uh, but this is an opportunity to really get good at training and where they go and um and how they approach problems and and potentially the reorient, you know, and Trent, this is our first time talking, but, you know, we talked to SR a little bit and, um, you know, SR is the blank slate to me. It's like, um, I can go a lot of different ways and, and be really impactful. So yeah, that's how I feel about that without getting too far into it. Uh, well, when you, you know, you talk about, you know, two points on that one, when you start talking about, um, you know, soft coming in, fixing problems, I, to take it on a lighter side, I immediately think of Pulp Fiction, Harvey Keitel, The Wolf. Yeah, the wolf. yeah, that's yeah right. I mean, that that is what SOCOM is. SOCOM is the wolf. And right. um, I mean, that's just what we do. But I mean, you everybody's heard us talk about it before. Like, that is why we are looking for problem solvers. 
you know, because we, and you're, exactly. you're talking about, you know, being able to, um, I, I know it's so cliche thinking outside the box, but that, that's really what it is. It's, it's getting out of that normal, like, well, Hey, this is, this is what we do. This is what doctrine says we do. And you can go, right. Hey, use doctrine as a point of departure. Like, okay, yeah. this is, this is doctrine. Now let's go explore um, as a way. Right. The other point is I think that, uh, and it wasn't necessarily missed within our, um, you know, ba- you know, batch of friends and, and community, but like a lot of those pictures of the PJs and, and the guys out on the ground that are, that are helping like that, that was the positive part about it. Yeah, it was, right. it was a really yeah. bad situation, but I tell you what, the amount of, uh, PJs that were out there doing really, really good work. Um, yeah. and, and it was only captured uh, a handful of times and shared amongst friends and, and a little bit on social media, but like a lot of that wasn't covered at all, um, which is yeah. unfortunate because the guys did some really, really good stuff out there. That's the, that's the ugly part of this is that um, those guys are faced with those decisions and those choices. Um, the American public just sees the kind of the aftermath and they see, you know, the opinions on, on the news channels and the reality is they're human beings, man. And they're left in a really chaotic environment now. And if they didn't get out, um, you know, there's a lot of desperation in that country right now. And, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily going to be a, a part of it anymore. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, nonprofits that are involved and, you know, still doing rescue and stuff out there, which is cool, but, um, you know, not at the, not at the scope and, and uh, scale that took place during that, that week. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, and I, you know, it's something you said, man, about soft coming and, you know, kind of cleaning up things like the wolf. People always think that soft is, is really expensive capability. It's actually the cheapest capability in the DOD, you know, per, you know, per guy, it's expensive, right? So you might spend 10 million bucks on me over a lifetime, you know, over a career. Um, but what does it cost to mobilize a force and get them in, in place, feed them logistics, all that stuff and move them. Um, it's super cheap to bring in a small team of guys, um, you know, spend a few million bucks. I think it's the, the sticker shock and some of the equipment, maybe, you know, for a single guy, but, um, if you put it in perspective, it's, it's a really economical option that the DOD has and they know it. Um, if you look at budgets and, and peaches, I know you're still, you still gotta look at budgets. I'm glad I don't, uh, I look at different budgets now, but, um, you know, you look at the disparity between, you know, some of these, you know, like <laughs> look what the 80 seconds, their budget is year to year. Um, you know, compared to a, um, an ST unit and you're like, yeah, we got a couple million bucks. I'm like, all right, we can go train. Um, it, it's a different story when you have a, you know, fleet of vehicles and aircraft and stuff like that. So yeah, but yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, but I mean, you said 10 million and I know you're just throwing out a random number, but yeah, yeah. I mean, $10 million to train one of us. Uh, that's probably, that's probably five years of training maybe. Like yeah. to, to train one person and, and like, and to, you know, extrapolate it for, for people, you, you're not only talking about like, okay, you're, you're paying me, you're paying for the equipment, but you're paying for everybody else that's involved. Now we're talking about maintenance on aircraft, paying for aircraft, paying for the fuel, right. paying for the munitions, like all that stuff. So that's how it, it's easy to get to $10 million for somebody, for one of us in a, in a five-year span kind of thing. So um, it, it's dangerous to talk money when maybe taxpayers are listening and they're not <laughs> familiar. And if you start saying stuff like budget dust, I mean, 
So there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of money. It, it could come across as, as not great. So yeah. I mean, I just wanted to throw it out there. Like we, we say these numbers, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then we attach words to them, which is normal within. The I'm not sure people day. even care about budgets anymore. I mean, if you... <laughs> <laughs> what's going on right now i don't know man like, you're talking trillions of dollars and where does that go well, I can, bucks for some st guys i can tell you right now i'm looking at a budget like i'm like Ooh. yeah as a taxpayer <laughs> yeah. no i'm with you um but you know it, i think also soft they're they're pretty good stewards of the government's money as far as like i said the economy of it and so you know yeah to put to your point to put it in perspective um you know the return on investment is very high um and so, you know, when I was running uh, training, while well, I was running green team, um, we had a pretty good budget, you know, but, but like Peaches is saying, you want to send guys to the best, you know, shooting course, best driving course, you know, jump training is very expensive to do right. Um, you know, that training is really expensive, but there's a concept that's been brought up a lot lately. It's called agile combat employment. I don't have to talk to you guys about it, ACE. So the services, sorry, the Air Force is going to this, they want to. And they're using AFSOC as kind of like the test bed. And they're saying, okay, well, if AFSOC can do ACE, maybe we can do it at scale for these other units. Um, my, my perspective as a you know, former guy, like literally I retired this year, right? So I'm not too far removed. But, um, you know, when you talk about doing FARP, when you talk about doing, um, you know, rearming munitions, how much logistics come with that, you know, the fuels guys, the maintenance folks that come with aircraft, the Army, you know, Army uh, rotary wing aviators, you know, they, the pilots get out and they turn wrenches, man. I've seen these guys covering oil after a flight and, you know, up there breaking apart the top and, um, you know, that those uh, capabilities give you the ability to be agile and do combat employment. But um, if you continue to have this giant log logistics tail uh, and people aren't really dual purpose, um, you're not going to, you may, you might not get there as fast as you want to. The reason that we can economically is that, you know, you two, you know, we can send you guys to any country and you make it work you make it work in kind of the myriad of capabilities, right? It's not just, um, you know, setting up an airfield and it's not, you know, uh, you know, looking at uh, the security footprints and those things, it's everything. And so if it's bringing folks in, you understand logistics, you know, how, understand how to get money while you're deployed and, and find those funding lines. Um, you understand how to work with partner forces, you know, to a certain extent. Um, and then when you pile on other soft forces, you know, language capabilities with SF, um, you know, a really uh, refined capability to, to um, you know, deal with big Navy assets when you're talking about SEALs, like they have those touch points. Um, our greatest capability is our ability to integrate air. And, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty powerful capability right now, especially when we're looking at the Pacific and, you know, hovering and spoke and all these different islands. It's going to take, you know, team, small teams of guys to go out there and, you know, determine viability and feasibility and, uh, and set things up and work with you know logistics folks on site to you know re repave runways and do all those things. So it's really a force multiplier in a way that people don't understand um, you know or have really seen. Um, when you experience it firsthand, you know maybe you're a, you're a ground force commander with a conventional unit. You're like, damn man, this is a, this is a cool cape I have. Um, but it's like a flash in the pan, right? Then you're on to the next task. So. Um, I think the reason we're able to do that is, is not only are we the Air Force, we're used to viewing things, I think, from that perspective of big picture, especially early on in our careers. It's if you don't have the correct leadership, allowing the, the young up and comers to see the big picture and spending more time with them and enabling them uh, to get after those mission sets. Like that's the difference between us and a conventional force, I think. That's uh, a because great I, I hear these things and I'm like, yeah, that, that's great. And as 
you know, like I just sent my wife out on a, on a deployment and we were always complaining about the way that the conventional forces, uh, all the hoops she has to jump through and all this other stuff and how much time everything takes versus when we, we were, when we were in AFSOC. Uh, but I think it's just, if you don't have leadership, uh, holding people accountable and allowing them uh, to do their job and to see the big picture, I don't think you're gonna see that capability come to fruition. I got to unpack something. So you, you sent your wife on the deployment. Is that an option for all of us or is that something? <laughs> <laughs> how do you do, how do you send your wife on a deployment? You, know. Un- <laughs> you know, she, uh, are you, her, are you her boss at work? No, I mean, she left. She, she was like, I got to go. So, okay. Uh, I, I help her pack her bags and uh, I do these things and I drop her gotcha. off the airport. And like, she crazy, man, the crazy. like that's unique. Um, yeah, in uh, what you said is really important. I actually wrote it down while, while Peaches was talking is that um, how do you enable this mindset? How do you enable this capability as a leader, right? And you guys are both, uh, you know, senior guys. Um, well, you got to give people the opportunity to fail in training. And you also got to demonstrate what the realm of possible is. So there's guys that are uniquely suited to um, making stuff work. Everyone has them on a team. It's the guy, the guy you go to maybe when you're in your 20s and you needed a keg. You just go figure it it out right but as you get those guys that that those attributes have to be uh cultivated and and uh, um and encouraged and you're right man like it's mindset and it's also leadership's responsibility not to shut people down early because um you know you can you can destroy that initiative and that fire uh, in the system and kind of the uh the status quo of what the military is right and so soft kind of goes ebbs and flows into like Hey, we need to get things back on track. I want to go more conventional as far as like disciplineless things. And that's, that's fine. I, you know, good and order, good order and discipline is essential, but how do you take risks within that, that calculus? And that's a, that's a challenge, man. I think the reason that, um, you know, things like all these missions that we kind of go back in our history and say, man, it was successful. Those guys uh, did some rowdy stuff to get the job done. If you look at Vietnam, if you look at desert one, you know, like, Coach Carney going in on a motorcycle on the CIA bird and, and doing this remote, you know, survey. And man, he, I'm sure he didn't have an ORM. I'm sure he, you know, the motorcycle probably wasn't a military one. You know, he probably bought some off the local economy. And so, um, you know, that's, those are the things that sometimes it's, it's seeing someone do it that sparks that idea and, and kind of the, the opportunities for young guys to say, oh, I'm allowed to do that. And, and that's relative to combat as well. Um, we, we didn't really touch on this last time we talked, but, um, you know, I never, you know, fired my weapon in anger and candidly, you know, I've been fired at, but I didn't really know where it was coming from, but the first time it really happened, I was looking around to the left and right with the Navy guys I was with, and they were all moving forward because they already done it before. Right. And so here I was a new guy. I'm like, I, I go forward. Am I allowed to shoot? I'm like, they, they start shooting. I'm allowed to shoot. And you start slowly start to condition yourself to what you, you know, your, your, your ability is. And then, you know, then you're in a situation where you're like, oh, they're shooting, I'm going to shoot back. And it's like, you know, this trained behavior. Um, some guys have that naturally. Some guys take a lot of risk in that realm. And, you know, I was like, I don't want to, am I allowed to shoot right now? Everyone's got their lasers on it. Maybe we're just lazing people. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think that creativity and innovation are the same way. And if we want innovation to exist within um, our spaces, you know, or your spaces, I say our, I guess I'm doing that. Um, you gotta, you gotta, um, let people fail. You gotta let people break some things. And as long as they're doing it, um, and they're respecting, you know, the processes that are in place, they're not doing anything unethical or illegal, let them do it, man. Um, the problem is, is that, and this is Chad McCoy's opinion is the problem is, is that we have these leadership sprints, right? 
And so if you're a senior, you want to make chief, man, you better keep your nose clean for a little bit, right? Or you can do it the kind of the weird way that I did it. You kind of accidentally make rank along the way. Um, but certain people know that like commanders, you're a two-year command tour. Do you really want to break glass along the way? You know, if you're Lieutenant Colonel, you want to make 06? I don't know. And I've seen some, I've seen some great ones say, I don't care. And they still have been successful. Um, but you know, how do you encourage that behavior from senior leadership? I'm talking about the GO level. How do you encourage your, you know, your, your commanders to do those things and take risk? And then to, for the chiefs to know that they have the ability to, um, you know, to empower that as well. So just a few thoughts on innovation. Like it doesn't happen without, without those, those, uh, guide rails in my opinion. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. So you're not the only one. I remember, <laughs> I remember I hadn't fired uh, my weapon up until this point and I was in the back of a Humvee and there was a vehicle that we were, we were telling to stop and it was quickly approaching. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm sitting here going like, you know, cause I'm scared to, cause you hear about 15 sixes, you hear about yeah. dudes getting, you know, yeah. civ casts or civilian casualties for those that don't know, you know, so you're worried. You're like, I don't want to be that guy that messes up. That's right. And, uh, and you know, at some point you, you know, a car is quickly approaching uh, vehicle born IEDs are a yeah. thing. And you're like, man, I really need to make a decision, but I'm too scared to mess up until finally, you know, the guy in the turret goes, you know, and I'm back there with the 249, you know, and it's like, okay, well, it's, it's actually time now. And then, yeah. so you light them up, you know, um, and, but and then from then it's, it's never an issue. Cause you're like, okay, well, I'm making the right decision. But that first time it was definitely like, Ooh, I'm scared. But, um, but it's funny yeah. because, okay. So what, what is that rooted in? Is it, is it, okay. You don't want to be that guy that makes a mistake. Is it, are you, are we afraid to get in trouble? And now this kind of goes into to the other stuff that you're talking about and allowing people to fail, allowing people to push, push the kind of limits. Um, I mean, we, I think we've got to ensure that if somebody does mess up or make a mistake, like we want them to, you know, uh, we don't necessarily want them to fail, but failure is where learning happens. So we kind of do, or at least we want them to go to a point where right before yeah. failure, but I, I don't know. It's, well, risk is, a, risk is essential in this calculus, right? Yeah. Risk is, is essential within soft. And leaders hate to hear that because we're always talking about mitigating risk. Yes, mitigate risk where you can. But when you talk about when you get into like, you know, high risk training, you know, that, is, that has a time and place to do it. There is a time and a place to do a wall locker, hey, ho, you know, to a remote DZ um, if it's a validation. But that's inherently risky. And what, you know, we have a great track record of and not having, um, you know, a lot of, you know, accidents. You know that I had a training accident while I was the chief of the 24th. Um, but we had, and, and there was that period of time where we had a lot of training accidents. We had, you know, one at the dive school, I wanted um, during the rodeo at, at um, STTS. But um, those things happen, right? And now, if there are steps in there that can be mitigated, absolutely. That's, you know, that's what our responsibility is as leaders. But, um, you know, every time you jump out of an airplane, you risk dying. That's a fact. And the problem is, is that old guys like me, and, you know, I had a couple thousand jumps i got to the point where i wasn't scared to jump out of the airplane anymore and then you're like oh did i get a gmpi you know if you're doing a lot of jumps at a civilian drop zone yeah and a gmpi is not going to save your life but it might catch something not, not on a sport rig but on a military rig for sure because it was overly complicated um but you know risk is there and so 
and then going to combat. I mean, shoot, we we've we've done really well, you know. And you know, my fear is, and we kind of touched on this last time. We we're kind of you know being philosophical about the next fight going to be what's essential to win in it, and no one really knows. But um, you know, the fact is, is that the guys that know when to shoot back, like you just described, the guy on the you know in the turret in the two forty nine. Um, if I put you in there right now and you saw something didn't feel right, you'd be, you'd be weapons free. Right. And the problem is, is that the Chad McCoy from, you know, my twenties that didn't know whether I was allowed to shoot back. Those guys are going to learn that on the X and all the old guys that are like you, um, you know, they're eventually going to trip. And so we're going to get to a weird spot. You know, it's kind of like that eighties and nineties syndrome. You had a few guys that did some, you know, some combat. Everyone else was, uh, you know, pretending like they were in training, but they didn't have the reps. It's easy to shoot flat range uh, and be a stud on the flat range. But, the, you know, you see guys that suck on flat range, but are just, you know, badasses on target. It's because when you put a laser on somebody from, you know, 20, 20 yards, it's not rocket science, right? So, <laughs> but it is, but it is composure. It is knowing, you know, appropriate targets. And, and you, you talked ethics in the beginning briefly. Um, or maybe before we, we started, but uh, ethics is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, not necessarily, I mean, for the guys, for sure. I mean, it's something I always talk about. Um, but when we talk about autonomy, I think that's uh, something we really need to discuss ethics about. It's probably not in our bailiwick, in our, our circle of control, um, but we're going to go to autonomy with a lot of the things that we have. It's coming, man. And so, you know, who's the software engineer who's, who's writing the code? <laughs> You know, don't do that. Um, but but aut autonomy outside of you know AI, like giving, and you were involved yeah. in this, just just That's like point, you know, yeah. the all three of us are. Is, though we're not talking about machines having autonomy, like people, like That's hey right. man, I I, I I trust you to go out there. You're going to get put in very difficult situations that are both that are all you know all of the above, um, ethically you know, ethically challenging, morally challenging. Um, and, and listen, you'll, you are going to make mistakes along the way. You're going to like, there's, we're human. We, that's what we do. Um, but I need to know that unless it was, um, malicious or something like that, I shouldn't necessarily hammer you for something yeah. or I should not, or I should be the, you know, the, the shield essentially that, that like, you know what, you go do that. If there's anything that comes down for it, like I gotcha, you know, yeah. um, you go do what you've got to do. Just make sure that everything's ethically and morally sound. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. I don't know um, how many senior leaders, um, you know, peruse this channel and watch, hopefully they do, but I will tell you that here's what I think is important is that our guys, you know, and this isn't just exclusive to the 24th guys, the guys across ST, um, are put into positions where they join a tribe that's already exists, right? And so tribalism is a real thing within soft. It is within the military, but especially within soft and small teams. So we join them as an outsider and we remain an outsider. You might be friends with the guys, you go to combat with them, but it's their tribe. And so you inherit their culture. You inherit kind of their expectations. And as a young guy, you want to exceed those, right? And so this is an ethical trap. And I don't think leaders within the Air Force give it enough credit that, you know, you send a young PJ to go work with him and he's got to make 
the conscious decision on his own as an outsider, as a singleton, to do the right thing at risk of being ostracized by that group. That is heavy, man. And um, I've always been proud that the guys would come back and they, you know, we didn't have a lot of those issues, you know, and the services did. It was the Army and Navy, a lot of issues. And our guys um, kept their noses clean. I know guys have done, you know, things that were wrong overseas. I know that. Um, people make mistakes, people make bad choices. But when you talk about the scope and scale, we haven't had these big controversial things happen. And I think that's a testament to the maturity of the guys. And there's something in there. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's leadership or training, or maybe we're just hiring the right people, you know? Um, but I think that when a lot of this stuff happened and they did the soft re ethics review um, by, a, by a general who I really respect, but, you know, they went to everybody's units and asked them the same questions. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, we're good. We shouldn't have to have any scrutiny. Um, our guys go with these units that are having issues and are still stick keeping their nose clean. Um, and that doesn't mean these are choir boys. You know, these are pipe hitting dudes that go out there and, and do awesome things. But, um, you know, I've been faced with the situation. Do you shoot or, or do you not shoot? Would you be protected? Yeah, probably. Um, but that's a, um, that's a, it's an easy thing to armchair quarterback on the backside, right? But in the moment, you know, especially when the shooting starts, making those quick decisions is very difficult. I watched um, uh, a controller um, make a really good decision. Um, he did warning shots, vice, you know, just wayland a group of people that were coming after us in a hostile way. And he uses escalation of force intentionally, um, knowing that he had limited round count. And so um, I always thought about that. I was like, man, that's, that's some discernment, man. That's some, that's some high level maturity right there. Um, because would he have been wrong? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe the 15th, 6th would say so, but the reality is, is that no one's really going to question at that point. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that's a, another positive that we have going for us. But I think that's the, the reason I think that we're different is, is like you said, from the very beginning of your career, people are telling you, you're going to be as an individual stuck with these other people and it's up to you to do your job. You know, like there's no one on one of those SF or SEAL teams that really knows your job as well as you do or knows exactly what you're supposed to be doing or giving you a lot of guidance. Uh, our, our guys, I mean, I was on team a, a few months before they kicked me out the door and said, go embed with these dudes and do your job. It wasn't go be, you know, like, I know I'm not a Green Beret. I know whatever. And it's, it's, it's very apparent when you show up that, like you said, you're, you're on the team, but you're not part of the team. You know what I mean? Or, or vice versa, however you want to uh, uh, parse that out. So I think we do a good job of that. And I think in training too, when, when uh, I know as a, as a new instructor, when guys would start to mess something up, like an event, your first instinct is to jump in and be like, no, you're messing this up. And like having that senior instructor, like put his hand on my chest and be like, now nah, let's see where this goes. And let's see if they can work their way out of this and see if there's an individual that steps up that can fix the team. I think that's something that we value as a community that I'm not saying is not valued in the other communities, but I think um, just the way that we are and, and the expectations in the future uh, breeds that type of person. Yeah, and I also think the mentorship and experience of, of guys that have done it come in saying, hey, man, like, you know, there are guys within the team room that hold a lot of influence, right? And when those guys sit down with a young guy and say, hey, man, like, I got all the cred. I'm telling you this is right and this is wrong. And you set conditions for those guys early. Um, within training, like when I was going through training, you know, coming up, uh, probably similar, very similar to you guys is that um, it was just slam you, you messed up, we just crush you, your soul. The approach now, 
you know, you could say it's softer. I don't think it's softer. I just think it's more mature. And, um, you know, the level of investment to develop, like you just said, you put a hand on a guy and say, hey, man, like, this is why we're doing this. This is why it's important. I need you to modify this. I need you to work a little harder on this. Um, you know, like I shared with, with Peaches and Aaron last time is that you get a lot with that, that approach. Um, you know, there's a time and a place to hammer people. I think it still exists. I think it exists on the front side when you're, when you're weeding people out. And you, but once you decided that that's, those are the guys you want, then it's not time to be like that. Now it's time to invest. It's like, a, and it's almost like a child, right? You're like, you're my boy now. So I'm going to, I'm going to grow you the right way. Um, and that, you know, that, uh, paternal, you know, aspect to being an instructor is important. And then it's also important as a senior, senior NCO, um, especially, you know, you know, at the master sergeant level, you know, the chief level, you don't have the same touch points. I mean, I, I think all of us wish we did, but you just don't. And so you got to grow those master sergeants to be those guys. And, um, and they're very capable, you know, just, you know, they need the cultivation at their level to take your job. And so, it's this constant cycle that um, we relearn a lot of lessons from over the, you know, over the past thousands of years. I mean, these are not, you know, leadership isn't a new idea. Um, you know, some of the greatest leadership tenants come from, you know, uh, you know, 600 years ago. So um, yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I, you, you talk about the, uh, the mass sergeants and like, I, I, as growing up, I tried to, you know, you're very critical of, well, maybe not everybody, but you're kind of critical of your leadership because you're, you're seeing things from your point of view. That's right. They're making decisions from their point of view because you, as, as that junior guy, you don't know the, all the different directions that they're being pulled and all the different um, yeah. guidance that they're being provided. So you're sitting here as a, as a junior guy going like, why would you ever make that decision? Right. Now, on the flip side of that, as, as somebody who's making a decision as a senior NCO or a commander, you also have to remember where you came from, what it was like as a junior level. So there's a balance for that, that leadership, right? Um, but understand that there are so many variables um, in, a, in an equation or a problem set that there's a decision being made. It may not make sense to somebody at a junior level, but as, as a senior person, like I owe it to that person to not just explain to them the decision-making process and, and why we're going this direction. But like, I should also, like if I'm going to, to a commander's round table or something like that, I, I should bring one or two of those mass sergeants or one of the yeah. two of those, those captains that haven't seen that just to, right. just to bring them to the, so that they can get exposure and see the decision-making matrix that is, that is kind of ongoing in the discussions that it's not just some, some dude just going, I don't care. This is what we're doing. And you just right. deal with it. Yeah. So that, that's a great point. That's what I was going to say, you know, bring them into the, the, the equation, let them problem solve with you, let them understand the, you know, a lot of times it's tied to budget, right? Why can't I train the way I want to? Well, we don't have money for these guys and it's gotta be equitable, right? Or this is the commander's priority. Um, I don't, I don't want to make this like, Oh, feel sorry for your leadership because they, you know, they got a tough one. Yeah, you get direction from other people and, and guys should be smart enough to go hey i get it um but uh, yeah i agree with you man bring them in those the senior leader meetings let them see it My, so our argument was different back in the day we had a ton of master sergeants i think we had like i, I want to say it was like 70 or 80 master sergeants across the unit <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and so not every master sergeant is a leader that is getting paid as a master sergeant 
and that's since changed. You know, a lot of the guys are going back to other units, and um, and we kicked and screamed against that at the two four because like we want all experience, and then everyone felt like this should be E nine, right? Because you look over at the army, and everyone over there is E nine, but it was just it was different requirements. Then you look at the force and ST, and they didn't have any of those leaders, and so. Then I started to that an E7 at a regular ST unit was asked to do a lot. And I was an E7, you know, within one of the units within, you know, our, our group. And, uh, man, I didn't know how to lead and how to do it. I mean, I could set up a cool training trip. I know how to call the, you know, flight one guys instead of a jump trip. But what I didn't know how to do was run a troop and, and, and be a, be a leader. And so I was at a disadvantage when, um, you know, I kind of stumbled into a leadership position first. I, I checked it up royally. I, I thought I was supposed to be a hard ass all the time. Like, yo, it wasn't me, man. Like my personality is kind of happy go lucky. Um, I got to, you know, I, I can be emotional about things at times, but, um, you know, I had to be authentic to my, myself and my leadership style, but it cultivated the hard way. It didn't cultivate by someone putting their arm around me and saying, Hey, Chad, you can be so much better as an E7 by doing these things. Um, and showing me the way like you're describing. So I made E8 and I was like, holy crap, I'm, I'm E8. Wow, that happened quick. And um, and here's a funny story about making E8 though. So I was in E8, <laughs> I was still a troop chief. And uh, I got a call from our chief of the unit and he, he called me, it was like a Saturday. And he goes, Chad, will you go to um, Libya next week? I said, yeah. He's like, we'll talk to your, your family first and let me know. I'm like, no, the answer is yes. And you know, I was... I was like, finally, E8s are going to get to deploy and do all these things. Because in the Air Force, I mean, if you're an Army guy listening, you're like, that's normal for Air Force. It's, it's a non-starter in an operational role, right? And I was like, yeah, you know, a singleton operator going and doing this. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, and then I, you know, then I took over uh, the training debt, which was, which was really formative for me. And it taught me a lot of lessons. Um, it taught me, to, I had to reflect on my kind of failures as a master sergeant, you know, young leader. And even when I was an E8 as a troop chief, I jacked it up pretty good. Um, and I was able to reflect on that and say, okay, well, how do I approach this? How do I invest in people? How do I show, how do I let them make sure I trust them and vice versa? And it was small enough of an organization that, you know, stakes were a little bit, they weren't low, but it was like I could control more of it, right? You know, I had, I had what, 12 cadre, I had some support folks, and then I had all the students. Um, then it built, you know, I had more and more people but it was almost like, you know, it was like the universe was helping me. I was like, Chad, you're not ready for this. Let me help you. And we'll start small and we'll grow it. And then when they kicked me over the two, four, man, even had been separated by a few years, it's like going back into the snake pit, you know, and here I was the, now the chief, I was an E8 when I, when I came back and I wasn't even a chief yet. And I had friends that were over there that were still, you know, Hey, Chad, what's up? And I'm like, okay, well, hold on a second. How do I, how do I navigate this? And, um, but I don't think I, I don't think I could have been as successful as I was, you know, that's obviously subjective, but um, if I hadn't had those formative years, uh, you know, going to green team and leading that and then, you know, learn how to deal with support, you know, support folks and the kind of their unique problems and understand that a career field is it's not just PJs and controllers, right? Um, and, and when you, I start to broaden my, my perspective, it was helpful. A lot of guys get that when they when they mature outside of the unit, you know, at the, the 724, but, um, but it was really, it was a, a big wake up call for me that we had a lot of E7s that had really never led anything, you know, and um, they were awesome operators. They were the best, you know, but when they get thrown, they make E8 and then it's like, holy crap. So I was playing a pickup game as chief to try to develop those folks at their level and 
get them up on step where I needed, I should have been, get them there early so that they were better than me. And I truly think they are. And it's probably a lot of that was natural for them that they were better than me. But, um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, think that if I was to say legacy, it was to invest in those folks um, and be deliberate about it. And I'm sure you guys do it really well. Um, like I said, I, I was a little late to the party on that stuff. So. Oh, I don't know if I, I'd say I do it well. I'm still learning my, my path. <laughs> I think, I think one of the great things about this podcast is I don't I don't work with Jared or Aaron or any of those guys. We don't, you know, like Jared and Aaron work together, but I have no idea if he's the chief. So I just assume that he's maybe the greatest yeah, chief that ever lived. That's my impression. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I, I think about some of the uh, the guys from that unit that have come back to the two series units. And we, we it's not that we make fun of them, but it's kind of funny to watch them. It's like, a you know, a, a baby draft when they get there. We're like, okay, well, you have like 18 EPRs you got to knock out next month. Oh. And it's just like the, the, when their eyes glass over and they just don't understand, it's, uh, right. it, it can, and, it can and, be and a tough, tough challenge. I don't know how you solve that, that unique dichotomy of, you know, you want these, these guys are deploying nonstop, right? They're doing awesome things. And I mean, they're, you know, they're saving the world and then they come back and then, Hey, I need you to be really good about, you know, these things. And, and, you know, EPRs, I, I hate like almost cringe saying it now. That's my favorite part of retirement is not doing those. I bet. But uh, <laughs> as, yeah, but as, as, it's, as it's tech starting season right now. <laughs> well, well, think about this, man. When you get 50 EPR, master starting EPRs, and they all come to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough go, man. But I'm with you. And so, but but there again, those guys are competing against the career field, right? They're not competing within our unit. And so if you want to give them a fair shake at being successful you gotta step up your game and learn that and you're right man it uh, you know some of those things weren't necessarily a priority when you're in e6 at, at the unit and um but yeah we gotta we gotta figure that that equation out Maybe. and they probably shouldn't be as an e6 at the unit like i i, I would make the argument that okay so e7 yeah they probably need to start stepping out of that but I don't know that I want an E5, E6. Like I want them to be the tactical expert, the tacticians that we want them to be and need them to be at that unit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that they don't bring a lot of goodness back. It's just that first smack in the face of, uh, you know, all the the paperwork and all the responsibilities that come along with their rank. But, you know, once they figure it out, I mean, my last deployment, I was out there with us, he became a chief. I think he's retired now as the uh, former CFM, you know, we all loved him to death, but you know, there's a few, a few funny stories in the beginning and then, uh, and then he figured it out. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was, he was famous downrange because all the telecons he would come on, you know, his voice, the, the yeah. deep voice and the, the no nonsense, like, yeah, that's, that's stupid. Everybody you know, I could voice. tell you a funny story about him, um, without telling who it is, you know, it'll be funny, <laughs> you know, the folks that know who it is and there'll be a lot of us, but, um, I, I did a rotation up at Virginia beach with him. And when you're up there, you're with your controller counterpart. And like you guys are the you guys are a team, and so it's kind of make or break how your experience is going to go within Virginia Beach. And um, I was up there with him, and he never went out to eat, you know, never went out get beers with me. He would eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches in his apartment, and I was like, this is like purgatory for me, you know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I got what do I what who do I hang out with here? And then um, we when we were getting ready to deploy, we were gonna he was going to the the uh, it was basically this this strike cell in one of the units or places in Afghanistan. And a guy got hurt, another PJ got hurt. So I got flipped with another controller at the last minute. And then I was bummed because he was getting it on like all the time off the helos. 
and we were doing like these just miserable gaffes to target and then walking in, you know, 6K and then getting compromised every now on target. We never make <laughs> a target half the time. And, uh, you know, it, but it was, I was like, I did the hard yards of, of the alert with them. I had to suffer, you know, eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches in my apartment. I didn't even get to you know, have the fun of deployment with him, but um, he's a stud though. And, and yeah. I think from the feedback I got from folks that came from that unit, uh, told me he, he, he was awesome as a chief up there. So, but I, I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. <laughs> um, something I wanted to hit while we were, and it's kind of shifting from the ethical leadership and stuff like that is, is recruitment. Um, and there's, there's, I guess there's two aspects to it. You could talk about recruitment from our level and then recruitment from the unit that you left, but uh, I don't want to necessarily, I mean, both, both are an issue, right? Because we need, we need people at both. Mm-hmm. I don't know that, I don't know that we should talk about the recruitment at the unit you left, but just yeah. recruitment in general, um, like it, it's challenging because, and I don't necessarily know what the right answer is. And, I, and I'm sure it's a multitude of different answers. But okay, so now we're we're starting to get the message out about what Aspect War does, what everything that the the entities within Special Operations Command do, and the goodness that we've done after the last twenty years, and what we will continue to do. But I mean, how do we continue to recruit? In your eyes, how do we continue to recruit the right people now, and then also re-recruit uh, for retention? I mean, it's it's something that we're dealing with now. The honest answer is I have no idea. I mean, that's the honest answer. I think if I was going to take a stab at it, if they said, Chad, this is your problem to solve. Um, I think a lot of it is the marketing campaign, which I think they're doing really well right now. I think that video that they put out is pretty awesome that, um, you know, it's got like a PGA control. It's calling, you know, they're calling cast and they're in a tick in a, a convoy. Um, that to me, that sends all the right message. Right. But is it too late? And, um, you know, we're playing catch up. Everyone's already done that. The CT war, like, we know the cool units, everyone's seen movies about them. So the, the, I think one of the problems lies with the concept of the quiet professional. I think we, we coined that term out of like laziness almost. And we're like, oh, we're quiet professionals. And they're like, no, because no one cares what we have to say maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the past 20 years have been pretty darn exciting, you know? And, um, and the fact that controllers have, and PJs have been on every mission, you know, that all these you know, high-end units have done. Um, is a sales point, you know, from a marketing perspective, that's the goal, you know what I mean? Um, but all that stuff's, you know, come and go. Now, how do you recruit for this next fight like we talked about last time? And I have no idea, man, um, because it really depends on what strategy they wanna approach. You know, do they wanna build um, people that can integrate better with conventional forces? Perhaps they do, you know? Um, do we still wanna be these really high-end specialists that have these special skills? Um, that stuff sells in itself. I don't think, candidly, I don't think ATC sells. It doesn't sound sexy, but when you understand what the airfield mission is for access, it is cool. And, um, and then, you know, the JTAC stuff, I mean, that's obviously, you know, it's awesome. It's, you know, it's a cool concept, but, you know, PJ, I think has always been the kind of easy one to sell. It's like all these, you know, you know, doctors that jump from the sky and do all this cool stuff. And, um, but are we capitalizing off effectively? I don't know, man. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, recruiting, like, who do we send out? Like, that's the, that's like almost like a punishment, right? If you, you get, you're an operator and you get sent to the one of these duties, but if you could do it and incentivize it for guys to do it, you know, like short stints as a break, uh, 
you know, maybe we get the message out that way. But I, I honestly, Peaches, I don't really know, man. So that's know. that's actually one of the things that we we have kind of explored, um, not explored, but we are starting to get into that realm is um, now that we kind of have that time back home and we're not, I mean, yeah, we're, we're still training our asses off, but you know, we're on mm-hmm. more of a cycle now. So um, we've been embedding a little bit more with the special warfare training wing and the training group and, and some of these other um, college ROTC vets like Aaron just went and hung out at Ohio State for a week um, and visited and talked with a bunch of debts. I know Trent and I have done a bunch of Zooms um, and, you know, we're, we're getting more of those. And, and this is outside of like one's ready. This is like, mm. and you're actually TDY, you're on official duty. And there's after Aaron went on an unofficial duty to Ohio State, several guys at, at our unit came and said, hey, like, how do I get on something like that? Because I would love to go out there and try and give back. Because I think, I think our guys, you know, as as hard charging they are and, you know, sharp and steel badasses, steely eyed killers, like they still want to give back. They still want to, they're social butterflies. They want to get out and and mingle with people. And yeah, that whole quiet professional thing is that's, that's a beat. That's very, 90s right and i think it was probably out of laziness because messaging is hard getting an effective message is hard the seals they do a great job of it like we still haven't figured it out and and we're working towards it so like so we are trying to do those those small stints that way you're not getting hit you know as a recruiter and you know as as a cct pj sr going to go be a recruiter and you're kind of stuck for three or four years Right. Yeah. I mean, that would, that would be like one of my greatest fears unless I you know, had a reason to get back for family or something like that. Um, and also it's the right guys. Right. And so you send a guy like Aaron who is charismatic and he's, you know, he's done the job for a long time. Like those are the guys you want, you know, engaging um, every, every service, every career field has, you know, their, their lemons. Um, so being discerning as a senior leader and sending the right guys out, um, you know, there, I know you said, don't talk about my former unit. But, um, <laughs> but I think there's some parallels there, right? So, uh, you know, how do you, the, it's at, you're recruiting and it's a microcosm of the bigger recruitment, right? So it's smaller, but um, getting guys to integrate and train together is important. You know, getting more cross trainees, getting them involved in training is really important. Um, and then opening the doors, you know, to kind of uh, people seeing things and, and understanding them. It kind of sucks that everything's down in San Antonio because it's, it really limits, you know, the, our access, you know, the seals in in Coronado is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. Um, I spent a lot of time there, man. Um, but you know, it's, it's not located in a spot that's easy to access, you know, it's, um, although it's centrally located, I think San Diego is a great spot for them. They also have Virginia beach. Um, I'm not saying we get the you know, get the, uh, what was it? Stars team back together. I don't know what that even oh, is. The, yeah. The special tactics and rescue. Yeah. The jump team. Squad. Yeah. That was an awesome. That was, I loved it. Were you on the stars team? Hell no, but I, oh. I, I enjoyed it. Like at some, like Bill Adams and some of those guys were on it yeah. and they, they loved it. I'm sure it sounded like the best gig ever. I mean, Ron Thompson did it when I was at Nellis. I was like, man, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But I don't know what the biggest return on investment is. But every time you see an interrupt thing like these soffic events where you know guys are in boats and and shooting stuff, kids think Navy SEAL. They don't think SWIC guy. And so when they see a dude, you know, faster amount of helo, they think you know special forces, and it might be a PJ, a controller. And um, 
I don't know, maybe we get like yellow uh, camo or something. I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> Bright red. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, we're, we're different. We're PJs and controllers. And SR, I, I stop. I'm saying, I haven't said SR enough. Uh, sorry, Trent. Ah. Uh, I'm, I'm used to it. It's fine. Well, no, we're, 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 we're you guys around. are quite professionals now. <laughs> I'm trying not to be. It's just difficult, you know? And then, yeah, I don't want to go on a whole tangent about SR, about how like I try to tell people what we're getting into and then they're like but you didn't tell me anything i'm like i told you what i could tell you all right like yeah i don't know i'm, I'm super weird about it but i think uh when it comes to personalities like you were saying like you guys we've had trey free on the the podcast yeah and i can't talk to that guy because every time i talk to him i'm like going to my wife being like hey uh you know rag is pretty nice this time of year you know? <laughs> like, he's the he's the perfect guy it's i can't talk yeah. to him otherwise he, he gets me going on that on that thing so um, yeah yeah no for sure it trades a good example of a guy who he you know he's kind of separated himself from the pack you know and um he's a different perspective perspective on recruiting life and all those things um we have guys out there that are you know that are have not similar attributes to him but they're they're kind of deviation um so let's you know let's identify them and, and empower them um you know i, I I never was offered a recruiting gig. You know, I think it'd be kind of cool to go to a bunch of universities and talk to folks. Um, you know, I, but I think it happens at, at high school planting the seeds. So I live down here in you know, Northwest Florida now, and these are big military communities. You know, you got Eglin, Herbie, seventh group. And so the kids, they get it, man. The kids here, like football players, you know, they, they had a flyover at the high school football game here. I'm like, no dude, this way. is awesome. This is, yeah. <laughs> Afterburners, everything it was, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And, um, <laughs> And so these kids are growing up in that environment. And so they're probably more receptive or, or susceptible to kind of that influence, right? Um, you know, but it's being deliberate. So the guys of the two, three down here, you know, are they are they going to high schools and with full kit? They repelling from the rafters, you know, for a, you know, for a, a, I don't know what they call it. Like when everybody's in the, the gym, um, I don't know, man. I don't know if that resonates with people or not, but um, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it showcases the capability. Um, now, I I can tell you, just having been at the two three, at least at the time, they weren't they weren't sending anybody out because we were focused on training. And yeah, but I think I think it's a, a maturity level, and it's once you reach a certain point, you're like, man, uh, really should try and give back, like right. to to a community that's been so good to us. I mean, at least you know the three of us talking on here, like it's been a really good community to us, um, yeah. not just special tactics, but you know, SOCOM in general, and like, I'm, I'm honored to be able to, that I can, you know, and it's not part of my identity, like, it's not something that I, that defines me or anything like that, but it's just, like, it's been so good to me, it's afforded me some fantastic and amazing opportunities, places to travel, and it's just right. kind of a way to go, you know, thanks, and let me help. That's right. Well, no, that's, a, that's a great perspective, man, it's, and I, I just, I don't have those touch points, I never did recruiting um, I know it's a challenge. I know it's difficult. Um, and then you, even if you get, you know, thousands of, you know, candidates, how many are actually going to make it? And it's a tough problem, man. But, you know, ST isn't the only one or special warfare isn't the only one dealing with this. All the services are, um, they're all trying to find unique ways to access people because you know, that's the commodity, right? And so, um, you know, the SEALs are, the SEALs probably aren't having as much of an issue as everyone else. I mean, they're pretty much killing it. Um, but, you know, SF, you know, big army. Get out. What's that? No, sorry, I was kicking myself. Oh. 
Sorry. Like, <laughs> All right, beat it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that SF is, from what I hear, you know, similar problems, but they, SF traditionally was grabbing from inner service, right? And so it was like guys that have been here for a few years. And so maybe that pathway gets reinvigorated for them. And maybe we need to start, you know, capitalizing off that pathway of, of folks, um, you know, because there's probably a lot of like awesome maintainers that just didn't know about this job, you know, before. And um, we had a lot of cross trainees in my NDOC class and we had a, we had a pretty good handful of guys. Um, only a couple made it. But. Yeah, we're, we're trying with the, uh, the, the sister service folks and all that other stuff, trying to make it as easy as possible. But I think one of the things we need to do is, and I think one of the reasons we started the podcast is we need to connect the young people's current reality with what we're doing. And I yeah. think some of those, like we all love those videos where it's, it's very analog. It's we take contact, we, you know, drop bombs or we rescue people and all that other stuff. But as we start to talk about that ambiguous problem solving future that we're, we're moving towards, uh, you know, making those connections between, you know, the, the, the cues of the world and the double of sevens, and you still need the, the guys that know when to pull the trigger, not to pull the trigger. I'm only using uh, James Bond quotes because I couldn't think of any wolf quotes that we can actually say out loud. Yeah. On the podcast. <laughs> I thought you were going down some like QAnon route, man. No, like no, James Bond. Ooh. Sorry. Yeah, that's hurtful. That hurts. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like uh, the their their reality of, of the digital landscape of where these 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 folks are growing up and and the things that they're good at and taking the skill sets and the things that they care about and value and showing them how that transitions into the next generation fight. Uh, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface there, but I think um, that's one of the reasons that we're all out on the. The interwebs trying to get their attention yeah, you're right man and and so yeah the you know patrol to contact concept you know it's cool because it's you know rounds flying but the reality is is you know that there's a lot of other stuff that goes on that's you know requires like you said problem solvers and guys that are creative and um if we can continue to get those guys we'll continue to be relevant and have high performing dudes and so um i spent a lot of time in uh somalia and yemen um i, I did about four opponents to each uh and those were deployments early on before, like there was big, you know, fobs all through Somalia. And we'd go in with a really small group of guys and I'd be in the back of a local cab driving, driving through. I didn't even know where, and I'd have a rifle and two pieces in a backpack. Um, you know, and if I needed it, it was going to take me a second to put it together and, um, you know, and getting there and, and being a part of the solution, being a part of the conversation, you know, in these KLEs because it's such a small team, right? And as long as you bring value to the table, as long as you can bring, you know, good perspective, you know, my, my job is contingency planning, right? I'm the PJ, I got to look at how to take care of all these people and get them out. And when you're using civilian aircraft, that's really difficult. You know, how do you communicate with these folks? You know, we don't have CAS. So um, what are we going to, you know, what are we going to use for, you know, these uh, non-traditional ISR platforms? And, and so it, it really becomes kind of a cool problem to solve. And, and also the stakes are high, right? Because you have no clue when this is going to go bad. Um, in my time in, you know, Yemen, you know, during the Civil War, um, it was very small crew of guys were out there and uh, we had no idea what things were going to turn into, um, you know, and so I, my job is to figure those problems out as a PJ. And if I wasn't locked on and understanding all of the components of like, you know, being a rescue guy previously, you know, doing the assault stuff, um, and then going into this world of, um, you know, kind of unknown ambiguity, um, I, you know, I don't know if that I would have been very prepared. And so um, those guys that are coming behind us now, those are selling points, man, because they're going to get those experiences. Not everything's going to be, um, you know, 
fighting these major combat operations, we're still going to have the skirmishes. And, you know, these are going to be resource depleted environments. And, and by that, I mean, you might get infill, but you, you probably didn't get an exfill until a certain specified date. Um, you get an injury. Yeah, he's not flying out today. He's flying out three days. So what do you do? And, and so it's really going to create a, um, a challenge, which I like challenges personally. Um, and I know most of our guys do. Um, because it, it's exciting one and it, and it makes you think um, and it makes you get better. And so um, I think those are the cool kind of one-off missions. You know, there's a lot of them to talk about. Um, you know, some of these are sensitive stuff, but um, you know, the guys have been doing it. You know, the guys are in Africa. You know, Africa is a good example. I won't, you won't talk about classified stuff, but um, they're all over the place, you know, and Africa is huge. You know, the geography, North Africa is over a million square miles. Um, and so how do you approach that from a, you know, from a, a CCT perspective access, you know, when you start looking at landing, you know, what can we land on, you know, do we need to start going innovation with aircraft and how they land, you know, within dirt and, uh, you know, for the PJ, like that's, a, that's a really tough position to be in. It's like, you better get your field medicine ready. Um, you're not going to have aircraft flying overhead. You're not gonna have a cache nearby. And so, um, that gold you know, these are the new, yeah, the unique problem sets that are coming for the guys now. And, I think that the right people will still want those missions, um, but they also, and we talked about this last time we, we chatted, is that they're also going to have the reality challenge for the, the shoot 'em up um, CT war. Um, they're few and far between. You guys are still doing them. I heard some cool stuff recently, um, but you know, it's it's not going to happen. It's going to be kind of feast or famine for some guys in that in that respect. Yep, absolutely. Well, Chad, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not, not surprised. Always a great conversation with you. Love to actually meet you one day and uh, sit down and, and BS with you. But I guess I'll just have to do it over Zoom on a podcast uh, for now. Yeah, man. So. <laughs> I appreciate but, you guys having me, especially on a you know earliest morning. Um, I haven't yelled at my kids yet. They've been pretty good. They haven't kicked the door down. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I got the dog in here, but she always. Uh, most people can hear her huffing and puffing. She gets restless, but. Uh, um, awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. I, I know you've got another podcast you're hopping on to here. Um, maybe not today, but here pretty soon. Yeah. So old, uh, uh, Mike Ritland's podcast. So you'll enjoy conversation with him. I know that you guys have worked with each other in the past. So, um, like again, you, you've always got an open invite to come on. So, and then I, I don't think we've overlapped conversations or topics too much on this one so uh yeah. we'll just keep digging after it and try and solve all the world's problems like that's like right. we do <laughs> yeah and, and hopefully it's value added for for younger guys to hear this um and you know like i said last time it's it's kind of making sure this information is relayed um so it's not lost in, in the shuffle but um yeah. Yeah, i appreciate what you guys are doing and uh, i appreciate you guys cultivating you know the the next next set of guys so uh, a lot of respect absolutely appreciate it so Everybody, um, thanks for joining in. And uh, like I said before, make sure you're following us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and all that kind of good stuff. And of course, leave comments, shoot us questions, and we'll get back to them uh, as fast as we possibly can. All right, everybody. See you later. Later.